What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Midnight Terrors podcast, episode 11. This is Kevin here, and this week, the episode's going to be a little bit different. Uh, Jason and I had some issues lining up the scheduling for the recording session, and uh, he is not going to be on this episode, but hopefully he'll be back next week. And uh, in the meantime, hope you guys have enjoyed the Horror Bracket War two-parter episode that we did over the last couple weeks. That was a lot of fun. And we definitely hope to do more games and stuff like that in the future. But in the meantime, uh, I know I said we were going to do a couple movie reviews, but we're going to save those for later. Jason and I will get back to those soon. But uh, this week we're going to return to uh, a director that I have cited as my favorite director on a few of these episodes so far, Mr. Mike Flanagan. And the episode this week is on The Haunting of Bly Manor. And I'm not doing this alone. I have a guest here uh, by the name of Kat, but I know her best as Mom. Hi, Mom. Hello. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm great. It's rather ironic that you have me on here as I am someone who does not like to watch scary stuff. But when it comes to the genius of Mike Flanagan, I am all in. Mostly because you forced me to watch it the first time, uh, the, first, <laughs> the first series, and I got hooked, and then you talked me into another one, and now I am just a total fangirl of yeah, all so of let's, his work. So let's address that really quick, because this is not your first go-around with Mr. Mike Flanagan. You watched another show of his that Jason and I discussed on a recent episode, Midnight Mass. That was incredible. Absolutely incredible yeah. uh, he just flanagan just takes me on a journey it's like he's a master storyteller and i love stories but the twists and the turns and i'm one that will sit there partly because i am getting scared and i'll try and figure out where it's going <laughs> kind of you know like it helps me yeah uh, but I, you know i watch i cover my finger my eyes with my fingers and then i peek through them and watch them but I'm always trying to figure out where the heck it's going and Flanagan takes me down one road and it's, he is a genius at misdirection. Yeah. You know, you actually did pretty well, uh, watching this miniseries. We did this maybe a month ago now, almost. We just kind of binge watched it over the course of about a week or so. Cause you, this was another show that we did midnight mass over a weekend and that was seven episodes, but this was a show that, you were calling me like every day asking when we were going to get back to finishing Bly Manor. This was a show that you could not take your eyes off of. And you actually did well. You didn't hide your finger or didn't hide your face too much. So, well, first of all, Bly Manor is 100% binge worthy. And second of all, as are most shows that Mike Flanagan does. Absolutely. But part of the draw of this one, and I think this was one of the ways you suckered me in was, um, (laughs) An actor by the name of Oliver Jackson Cohen, and yeah, we'll ta- I just we'll get yeah. to him, and <laughs> we'll get to him. That in, was a draw. Yeah, we'll get to him in just a little bit. But uh, yeah, so you you coined a, a term not too long ago when we were talking about this. So as she mentioned, everybody, she is not someone who would call herself a a regular horror fan, but she's definitely mm-hmm. seen her fair share of a lot of horror movies and she's got a few that 
even though they might not be straight, like, scary, scary horror movies, she's got some movies that she does enjoy that are definitely within the horror realm or the horror comedy realm. Um, though a little more lighthearted, we just recently watched Dark Shadows, which was something that neither of us had seen. That's definitely got some horror, some, some old school horror uh, yep. storylines in it. Yep. And and humor, too. Humor, yeah. story. If, if I can get involved in the characters, I'm 100% in. Yeah. And American Werewolf in London, that was another one that we just watched not too long ago. Again, same same type of thing. Involved with the characters, um, some serious chuckles here and there. I didn't mean to call you Meatloaf Jack. <laughs> yep, definitely. Side, and, and side note on American Werewolf in London, we're, she and I are headed to Haunted Screams Expo here in a week from tonight as we're recording this, and we're actually meeting David Naughton from American Werewolf in London, and we are both super pumped for that. Right, so the the non horror fan absolutely loves going to horror cons now. Thanks so much. Yeah, um, hey, definitely listen, a you, push out of water, but yeah, I love hey, it. Hey, listen, doesn't come across that way because you made best friends with with Felissa Rose. Well, she's an incredible human being, but yeah, I did she is. tell her I love you dearly, but you <laughs> scared the hell out of me, and I'm never going to forgive you for that. Meanwhile, I'm wearing a shirt with the the exact face that scared the crap out of you. I'm wearing right. a shirt with that face on it while in a picture with her where she's and making she, that face. <laughs> she still does the face. Yep. Yeah, no, but, Felissa yeah. is Felissa is amazing. We had a great time meeting her. And, uh, you know, we might you might think that this is a side tangent, but we definitely... Cat will return, or mom, however... I'm going to refer to her as mom. You guys <laughs> can't do that, but... Because um, <laughs> um, I will fight you. But, uh, you know... We went to Carolina Fear Fest. We met Felissa and Scout Taylor Compton and Jordan Ladd from Cabin Fever. And we've got a bunch of people that we're going to meet at Haunted Screams Expo. My mom is very excited to meet Mr. Butch Patrick of the original Munsters. Hell yeah, Eddie Munster. See? I'm going to be first in line. Yeah, and you're excited for the Rob Zombie remake of the Munsters yes. coming out at the yes. end of the month? I will definitely be watching that. See... The Munsters were part of my childhood. Yeah. And which, you know, tells you that I'm pretty ancient. But <laughs> it was such, um, you know, and I was surprised to learn that it really wasn't on very long. I guess the reruns ran for years, but two seasons. I sit, yeah. I can sit down and watch the Munsters today and I'm still giggling and I still kind of have a, a sort of crush on Herman because he was like, <laughs> The ultimate dad with the dad jokes and, and that laugh and somebody we all really, want as a dad. Right. And and Fred Gwynn just he perfected that role. Although I loved him in everything else he did. My cousin Vinny as the judge, he was he was great in that too. <laughs> but just Herman Munster, again, you get drawn into the characters and they were like the family next door and they didn't know they were any different. They were just they were just people, and it was their reactions and their uh, not understanding why other people were scared away from them. And, yeah, so I'm really excited to meet Butch Patrick, and I cannot believe that you left out the fun I had meeting Clint Howard. Oh, yeah, I did Carolina skip over Fair that. Fest. No, Clint Howard was amazing. Yes. We, uh, 
you want to give a little background as to uh, your history with Clint Howard and what you ended up talking to him about when you met him? So again, showing my age, there was a show on when I was very young, um, probably when I can first remember watching TV, and it was called Gentle Ben. And Clint Howard was this boy whose pet was a huge bear by the name of Ben. And he was very gentle and he was very protective. So think Lassie only in a bear form. And Clint Howard, of course, is the brother of Ron Howard of um, Happy Days and um, back then the Andy Taylor show. So these two brothers grew up in Hollywood and they were they were on each other's shows and everything. So I, I wanted to meet him because to be honest, he was my first celebrity crush that I can remember as a little girl. <laughs> I just love this boy. And you look at pictures of him and you're like, I got to admit, I had good taste as a kid because he's adorable in, in the old pictures. You might not have thought that Kevin, but I like, I looked at pictures and went, Oh, so we, I wanted to meet him. He was, uh, he's been in, you know, I loved him in the Grinch. He just absolutely cracked me up. And don't you um, dare skip over the one film of his that I made you watch before we went to the con ice cream, man. I, I was getting to that. I just, that was another one that you said we're going to watch. And, and I did, and it was really creepy and he was really <laughs> creepy. That was, which, that was one that I had never seen that I went into yeah. blind and it's, Something crazy, but you know what? It's fun, yeah, it's and different. Clint Howard is very creepy when he wants to be. So, right. And other than that, he's just this great guy. So we're waiting in line, and I started talking to this lady because I do that. I speak to random people everywhere we go. Right, and not even gonna, not even gonna try and deny that one. And but at the <laughs> good because con, you can't. The. The horror community, the people that were there as guests, the vendors, the um, the featured actors, the panelists, all of that, that community is so darn friendly and unassuming and non-judgy that it was easy to, I mean, you're standing in line and you're talking to the people behind you and then you get up front and then you're all still in a group and it's like you've been like lifelong friends and you're BFFs forever. So that's just the general culture there. And that's one of the reasons that I am so excited to go to another horror con yep. because of the type of people we met and hung out with and really were able to get silly with and then and yet talk in depth like with some of the authors and they're really sharing their craft and talking to me about how I can get my ideas out on paper. But anyway, I'm totally off on a tangent. That's, That's all right. That happens on this podcast, like every episode. <laughs> I have noticed that, yes. So that was the type of atmosphere where I was talking to this lady on the other side of the table and, you know, girl talk. And I told her that Clint Howard was one of my first celebrity crushes. <laughs> Well, it turns out that it was his wife. And I said, I, I mean, no offense. And she goes, and I said, but your husband was a cute little boy. And, you know, I was a little girl and I loved the bear and all that. She laughed and she said, please tell him that. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. She said, yeah, if you don't, I will. And the guy <laughs> behind me is like, and if she doesn't, I will. So there we were. 
So I told Clint that I've never seen a man turn so red in the face. And here's this famous actor and he covers his face with his hands because he's blushing. He is, Oh my God. And his wife is absolutely cracking up. And then he, he looks up at me and goes, you know, only one other person has ever said that to me. And I said, Oh, who is that? And he said, Linda Blair from the exorcist. So me and Linda Blair have really good taste. But that <laughs> I always, was my, I always forget about that part yeah. of the story. Yeah. So that was my experience with Linda Blair. So God knows what's going to fly out of my mouth with Eddie Munster. But anyway. Yeah. So, I, I, and I, I think, think, I think that's go a good uh, tangent there though, to be on. Cause you're someone, and I'm, I haven't forgotten about the term that, uh, that I mentioned that you coined earlier, which we'll get to in a second, but I think I think that's important to note that even if you're someone who doesn't like watch horror consistently or is scared by it or it's just not their thing, there's something in it for everybody. And there's movies in there like one DVD cover right now that's staring me down. When I said that there's stuff that's horror adjacent that you enjoyed, you got stuff like Cape Fear, which scared you half to death as I understand it. Um, I believe I was carrying you at the time. That probably was not a movie to go see. No, I'm pro- probably the reason you like to be scared. Yeah, because prob- I went to see that movie, and, pro- and you were in the womb. Probably, but yep. I can't be blamed for that. But uh, you've got uh, the Lost Boys. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's with the most badass vampires to ever be on screen. Right. No sparkles there. No. None. And then, but even stuff like uh, you enjoy Misery as well. That's another one. Well, Stephen King, what can I say? But yes. Yeah. you're. <laughs> we all cringe at the hobbling scene, but you still Ouch, enjoy yeah. watching that movie. Um, and there's, there's something in the horror genre for everybody. And I think that's important for people to... Uh, to know. And then you have watched some of this stuff. You saw Sleepaway Camp, which you were scared by, but did enjoy yep. watching. And then you've gone to horror cons and made friends there and met the people behind the art. We had a really good conversation with uh, Jordan Ladd from Cabin Fever about the the stereotypes and the treatment that women face in, the, in Hollywood yep. and as the being actresses in the queen. horror genre. Yeah. Yeah. So I think when people hear you say that you're into horror movies and everything, they immediately think of the slashers or maybe of the the whole the old time stuff without realizing that really it's such a broad broad arena and you know I grew up I I graduated um from high school in 1980, which was, you know, back when dinosaurs were on the earth. So I was going to the, the theaters and I was seeing all the slasher movies. I mean, that's, that's all my boyfriend wanted to go see. And that was, you know, that was kind of a good chance to hold on to him and all that stuff. So I went to all of those <laughs> and I probably could handle it better as, as a, you know, a young girl than I do now. But, but, I did not realize, especially when you started getting into horror and you started this podcast of all things horror, that 
and I wanted to participate with you because you're my son. I want to know what you're into and I want to, you know, make sure that we've had some great conversations over all of this, but the ones that I tend to gravitate towards have a couple elements. There's an element of suspense with plot twists. Again, thank you, Mike Flanagan. You are the best at that. There's, I like the, the tragedy, the tragedies where you're really, sometimes there's a character that's so bad. He's so obviously the bad guy or the bad girl. And I know I'm supposed to hate him. And I know I'm supposed to be mad at them for what they're doing to the other characters. But I find myself, because I'm an empath, like, to the extreme anyway. But I find myself feeling sorry for them and almost wanting them to be okay. And, you know, and then I'm making excuses for all the lousy stuff they're doing. So I like that. I like the, the characters that I can be drawn into and the storytelling and the suspense and I'm a chick, so you throw in a little romance or some love triangles where I can go, yeah, she deserved that. <laughs> and or and and this is the um, this is the a really magnet for me when it comes to watching something like this. And you've used this against me, to be honest. Um, I think it was Fear Street, right? Or the historical uh, elements. On- Oh yeah, because Fear Street okay. starts in right? the yeah, because Fear Street right. starts in the '90s, then goes to an '80s slasher, and then becomes a 1600s period piece by the end. Yeah, right. So I'm such a history buff. Um, his okay, just flat out geeking out over it all the time. If you so can am throw I, so that am I. <laughs> into it, and, or a little time hopping, which we are we allowed to do spoilers on here? Oh yeah, we're co- okay. In just a minute, guys, we're gonna jump in to talking more about Bly Manor. Um, right. But a- as you know, when I have a when we have a new guest on, we we let them talk about their their journey with horror and their interests with horror. But yes, when we do dive into Bly Manor, I'm just gonna give you the spoil the spoiler warning now. There's no holding back. We're gonna do deep dives on all the twists, all the reveals about the characters. So if you have not watched Bly Manor, much like Midnight Mass, it is not a show that you want spoiled for. You go in completely blind. And I think there's a big misconception about this show that we're going to, or just an unfairly cast judgment upon it that we're going to talk about here in just a minute. But again, spoilers all over the place. So do not listen to this if you have not seen Bly Manor. Go watch it. It's nine episodes and come on back. So look, y'all, as much as I would hate for you to miss my podcast debut, I'm telling you, switch it off right now, watch Bly Manor, and then come back and listen to this because it is so worth having your own experience and not have anything spoiled. Although every time I started getting scared, I was begging Kevin to give me answers so that I, Which I would I... Like, lose it. And you know what? He's so mean to his mom. He didn't do it. Just so y'all know. No, she will watch something and she'll throw out, oh, it's this. It's got to be this. And then I just <laughs> I just sit there in silence. All right. But I'd like to point out that specifically with this series, I was 100% right on a couple things. But well, anyway, we'll, di- we'll dive into take, that in just a minute. Take your own journey on this, please. And then come back and see if you agree with us. Yes. And before we dive on in, uh, that coin, yeah. 
that term that you coined not too long ago is <laughs> you dubbed yourself a reluctant horror fan or the reluctant horror fan. Yep. 100%. And, uh, it stands true. And I think you know a lot of people that are just like that. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Horror's got something for everybody. And if you dig deep enough, you will find something. And as you said, here comes the Bly Manor talk. You're big on period pieces. And, you know, this does take place in the 80s, but it takes place in an area that is more like a, you know, more like an old historical house, more so than the 80s. But when we go back into the further past, it definitely is more of that type of period piece. So the setup for the show, everyone, if you have not seen it, um, I hope you're not listening to this if you haven't seen it, but if you're not going to watch it for some reason, the setup is that there is a young woman named Danny who is played by the stunning Victoria Pedretti, also from Haunting of Hill House, yep. and she's hired to become a nanny, or how do you say what they call, what's that term they use for nanny? Au pair. Yeah. So she's hired to be that for two children, Miles and Flora, who their uncle, uh, Uncle Henry, played by Henry Thomas, actually, uh, is... The little boy from E.T. That is so incredible. Yeah, I don't see that whenever he shows up in this stuff. But uh, but yes, that's who he is. And he is bringing Danny in to be a nanny because he's always working, never at the house, never visits or anything. And she arrives, she meets many, many characters like Owen, the cook, Hannah, the, I don't actually know what her position is, but she works in the house. She's um, a housekeeper. Yeah. So she meets Owen and Hannah and Jamie, the gardener, and they're just, there just may be some ghosts lurking around Bly Manor. Maybe. And uh, the thing is that 90% of the time you go into some horror movie about ghosts and usually the ghosts are just evil and they have a backstory, but they're usually just evil. It's hard to pinpoint with these characters in Bly Manor if any of them are actually full on evil, because I feel like every character in this show has a tragic backstory that makes you feel for them. Every character has a secret, which will be alluded to and then Mike Flanagan like doles them out episode by episode. But every character is also worthy of sympathy. Like your heart absolutely breaks periodically throughout the series. I, I'm not going to lie. You you're you're in, I was in tears a couple times and on the edge of my seat and still thinking about these characters when, you know, it's like 1am and we have to turn this off. Oh, and the, stop watching. Yeah, so your, and the, your heart just breaks for them. Yeah, the ending of this show has left me in tears multiple times. I've seen the show twice, but I've watched the ending over and over again, and it has left me devastated and in tears multiple so, times now. So heartbreaking, yet full of hope at the same time. I mean, your your emotions definitely do a roller coaster ride in this one. Well, that's what Mike Flanagan is so good at, though. And yep. you've seen Midnight Mass, um, yep. and you've seen Bly Manor. You've yet to see Haunting of Hill House. Don't worry, everybody. She will be watching that sometime soon. I'm not letting her skip it. <laughs> see what but, he does to me? Yeah. 
There's no hiding though. You're on a podcast followed by a bunch of horror fans. They're going to tell you how how great that show is. But right. well, but speaking of Hill House, um, and you, I think you know all the episodes. But early on in the series, because I think I already watched two episodes, but and then we we dropped it. One episode. Thank you. One. Okay. Well, there is a quote from the Haunting of Hill House about. Uh, I may be paraphrasing, but it's something about when we die, we turn into stories. Instead of using the term ghost, they say stories. And I think that that's what Flanagan built Bly Manor out of. Yeah. Well, the the other thing to note that are stories. Yeah. Well, the other thing to note about this is that this is based on a book. Bly Manor is. It's based off of of the screw. Yes. Um, you know, somebody was going to loan me that book, but never did. I wonder who that was. Yeah, well, another you someone. Know who that was? Another someone is always busy. <laughs> so, but Whatever. I have I have a copy of the book. Yes, I'm going to loan it to you. And I was hoping that one of us would get a chance to read it before the podcast. But we'll come back and talk about maybe do like a dual episode on because Hill House is also based off of a book. So maybe we'll. Uh, We'll we'll read those two and then have a book discussion on here or something. But so it's based off a book, and I neither of us have read the book, but I think it's fitting that that quote carries over that when we die we become stories because one it's based off of an already written story, so there's a little bit of hidden meaning there. But honest to God, every ghost in in this show has a has a story about them but at the same time the major plot point here is that when they're stuck at Bly for so long they actually lose that story they lose who they are so Mike Flanagan you know he's done a couple interviews on of course all of his series but on Bly Manor and one thing that he talks about a lot when he does that is memory deterioration yeah which you know that word's not that easy to say no, it's not. But he <laughs> likes the theme of two deaths. So when people die at Bly Manor, not only are they stuck there, but they are in denial at first. And so they're still interacting with the people in the house and they're still living their daily lives. And they're not really they're like they're not really ex- either accepting of the fact they're dead or they just have not picked up on it. Well, I was going to say the the big so the to dive into spoilers, the first big reveal of the show, well, not the first big reveal, but probably the biggest um early twist of the show is that you are following at one point Hannah the caretaker and she throughout the it's episode 5 where you get this twist But throughout the first five episodes, up until the reveal, she has been interacting with everybody. Everybody talks to her, but she, you notice, and this is one thing you noticed early, she doesn't eat, she is constantly, she is constantly disappearing, and you find out in episode five that she has been dead since seconds before Danny arrived, because... Your boy, Oliver Jackson Cohen, is playing a character named Peter Quint, who is a very possessive, jealous lover. He was in love with the previous nanny, um, Rebecca. I believe her name is Rebecca Jessel. 
And there's another ghost. See, it's really hard to unravel all this, but there's another ghost on the property that is the reason all the other ghosts are stuck there because she was the first one to have this whole stuck on the property, losing her face and losing her identity happen to her. The Lady of the Lake. The Lady of the Lake Viola. She had killed Peter because she does this thing where she still carries out that routine. Even though she doesn't know who she is anymore, she early on as a ghost would walk the house in the same straight path and look for her, her lost daughter. Okay, so stop right there for a pause for a minute. That's the second death when the ghost finally realizes that he or she is dead, that's when the memory starts to deteriorate and they start forgetting. So Viola, who again, you know, she's, she's the evil thing in the house. She's the, yes, she's the lady of the lake. We're supposed to be scared of her for most of the show. And I was going to admit that, but she, again, she's someone that when we finally get her backstory, you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm team Viola. I mean, 100%. Now I get it. And oh, how tragic. And oh, I wish I could help her. And my heart's breaking for her. But the whole thing with memories deteriorating and the ghosts being actual stories. And then you have this thing where the longer they remain at Hill House, at, at, sorry, Manor. I'm serious, <laughs> at Bly as a ghost, their facial features start deteriorating. So None of these ghosts, the little boy they keep seeing, the little soldier boy, none of them have faces. They're just sort of a blank, really creepy mask. So that's the two deaths, whereas we always see Hannah with features and interacting. But then the other ones, it's just a a cautionary tale about forgetting, you know? Yeah. That's one of the so much to unpack with us. Yeah. So yeah, and it's difficult to 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 summarize all this. So if we walk through a general overall plot summary or synopsis, Danny comes in to be a nanny for Miles and Flora, and there was a previous nanny, Jessica, who fell in love with Peter, who was very possessive, very jealous, very controlling. He was killed by the lady of the yes. He was killed by the Lady of the Lake, and he had this idea. He learned he could possess people, so he wanted to have him and himself and Jessica possess Miles and Flora, so that they could now yes, so that they could now be lovers again. And but but the kids would be tucked away. There's this thing where when you travel as a ghost, you do this dream hopping. Yeah, that's part of the losing the sense of identity is that you repeat these memories, but the kids don't know any better. So Peter is trying to manipulate them into letting them, because you have to be invited by that person to be able to fully and permanently possess them. So that's Peter's plan, but uh, Jessica or Rebecca doesn't want to do it, but Peter does possess Miles at one point. And so, Re- Rebecca trips. But kudos to the kid who plays Miles, and his name is escaping me for right now. And I sincerely apologize. That young man, and I mean, he's he's a child underage. Yeah, but he's a fantastic a, actor at such a young age already. Plays the part of Peter, 
possessing him as the smarmiest, charming dude. Yeah, with, he's like a he's like a smooth like, he's like a smooth talking yeah. British guy when he but he's but a kid. With, with the cheesy pickup lines and come ons that you would you'd get from somebody in a bar. Yeah. And you've got this kid pulling that act off. Yeah, he's because he's possessed by Peter, but you don't know that for a while and you're like, What is what is up with this kid? Man, that kid needs a good spanking, he's being disrespectful. No, that was Peter. Yeah, who just happened to be in a child's body coming on and being inappropriate with some woman. So, and and you're like almost a little uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. To be fair, they tried. Um, he tried to trick the kids by saying that they would get to be with their parents again because their parents had been killed. Well, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't trick them. That's they were. They were going to be, but the parents are still dead. They would just be tucked away. In their memories. So when they're possessed, they're tucked away in happy memories and only living those memories. So that's Peter's big trick. Dream hopping. Yes. And that's Peter's big trick is selling Miles and Flora who miss their parents from another plot in the show. That's his selling point to them. And Peter even has a great speech with Miles where he says, you know, no more bullies, no more tests no more sadness no more pain i'm gonna take all of that and you just get your mom and your dad and you get to be with them forever and miles and miles agrees an existence no it's an illusion i think it sounds wonderful but it's an illusion and it's their memories and them deteriorating yeah and um but that's peter he's he's very uh selfish but you learn more about him as you as you go but so peter's killed he's and he possesses miles rebecca fakes possessing flora and then tells danny to run away with flora meanwhile all all the all throughout this danny has her backstory revealed about how she was engaged to a man and they broke up and kind of had a falling out and he was killed immediately so danny's carrying that guilt because she feels like it's her fault. He stepped out of the car after they fought and got hit by a truck, but she's now fallen in love with Jamie and is a girl. The gardener is a girl. Yes. And relationship relationship goals right there. Those two, they, they they have such good chemistry with each other. Yep. And they, they really, they truly are each other's half. Yeah. But Danny's job is to save these kids. So she goes, yeah, so she goes to take Flora away, but she's attacked by the Lady of the Lake, Viola, who previously killed Peter. Oh, I failed to mention, Peter also is the one who killed Hannah because she picked up on the fact that that was Peter inside of Miles. So he pushed her. And Miles was being inappropriate. Yeah, so he pushed her down a well, like seconds before Danny showed up, and... Uh, he forces her to accept that she's a ghost and that's how she comes to accept that she's passed away. But And look, Peter is an abusive, smarmy, everything I, the kind of guy that as a mom, I told my daughters to stay away from. Yeah. But he is incredibly good looking. <laughs> and when you get, I, he's, I, I'm not going to lie, I love his screen time. 
But when you get his backstory of his childhood and his abuse and you're like, oh, well, no wonder he's like that. And now you're now I'm sitting there crying for this little boy who never quite made it in life. And now he's a ghost. Yeah. And it's a it's a side story. But you find out Peter was abused by an uncle and his mom just did nothing. And his mom keeps showing up to find him and his uncle is saying, Oh, I hear your boy works for a, a rich family. Now go get money from him. And if he pays me, I'll leave him alone and won't track him down to, to kill him for running away. So you find out, you find out that Peter wants to, he's doing stuff like stealing and, and murdering and, and lying, but he's doing it to escape his past. Just like Danny was with the guilt of her ex fiance's, Uh, Edmund's death and but you go on and Danny's attacked by the lady of the lake and you think the lady of the lake the lady of the lake has a very scary scene in one of the mid show episodes where Miles and Flora are trying to distract Danny so she doesn't turn around and see the lady of the lake and the lady of the lake just slowly walks across the screen in the background with long wet hair and a creepy face, and it's just, it's terrifying. That scene, like, shook me to Absolutely. my core. And but you were nice to your old mom. You warned me that something was coming. I did. We'll see if I feel that nice when we get to Hill House, and there's a lovely jump scare that I didn't even warn my brother about, and he, <laughs> that I looked over at that, at the boy to see his reaction after, or like during the jump scare, so... We'll see. But anyway, so Viola attacks Danny, the Lady of the Lake, and you're like, oh, she's the evil ghost keeping everybody here. False. She also has a backstory where her... What a story. Yeah, and this is where we get into the period piece. This is the, the penultimate episode before the last one where we finally learn the backstory of Viola and she was she had a sister named Perdita and their father was passing away the owner of Bly um, and he had no male heirs that's kind of important in the story yes and so Perdita calls in a, a distant cousin and is looking to marry him to keep Bly going but because he fo- they, the girls couldn't couldn't own property back then. Mm-hmm. But he, the cousin shows up and he falls in love with Viola instead of Perdita. And so Perdita's very jealous, but Viola does marry this cousin, but she falls ill with, it's not the plague per se, I don't think, but they do have like plague doctors that show up to check on her. Oh, and even the, the, the plague doctor mask. Yeah. We had a scare with that earlier on, but I want to say it's like consumption. Yeah, something like something that. Something along those lines. Yeah. But uh, so you you start out and you like you feel bad for Perdita. Yes. Well, because she was in love, and then the older sister, who always got everything anyway, swooped in and took the guy. And the sister's, like, second chair again. Yeah. But then Perdita starts, oh, she's just Doing she's some, jealous some and messed up stuff. And all this stuff. 
And so then I switched. I switched uh, sides. Now well, you I'm feel Viola. Yeah, you feel for Viola because now she didn't do it on purpose. Just the she walked down the stairs and the cousin saw her and fell for her. She didn't. I don't think she did it on purpose, but right. that's it's just not her fault. Her sister's a man stealing hussy. Are we? St- are you sure we're talking about the same person? Perdita? Yeah. No, I was talking about Viola. I don't think Viola no, took the... No, I said the... it's not her fault. Her sister's a man-stealing hussy. Oh, okay. I might still be Team Viola. Apparently, that's where I settled. Yeah, that's, and that's very, very say. ambiguous <laughs> with your comment there. But, because you could, depending on whose team you're on, you could look at both of them that way. But, but so, Viola now has a daughter, and you feel for her, because she didn't do anything wrong. That's I don't think that she stole that stole the man as a as a malicious intention it just happened but she 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 falls ill and but now she's refusing to die she's kind of becoming bitter because she sees her husband falling out of love with her because of her sickness and starting to do stuff like dance with perdita and seeing perdita get close to her daughter and viola even refuses her last rites which i think is why she winds up or wounds winds up stuck at Bly Manor and she is finally killed by Perdita. Perdita's had enough and she smothers her. And Viola starts that process of finding out that she's a ghost, but she does the exact same thing every night after after dying where she walks the halls looking for her long lost daughter. She does eventually get her vengeance on Perdita because there's this whole thing where Viola wanted to save all of her wealth, her dresses, and a very specific dress for her daughter. And uh, she said, no one is to touch this. And Perdita, being greedy, decides to use it. And she, Viola gets her vengeance. But Viola has now picked up Flora. And there's this whole thing where she's looking for her daughter, but where's she going to go? With her, she walks back into the lake and she drowns the children there. So that's what's happened to them. So she's going to drown Flora, but Danny lets Viola possess her. And it seems like everything's well. Peter apologizes to Miles and he and Rebecca are allowed to move on, as are all the ghosts. You find out that Flora... Uncle Henry is Flora's real father. He had an affair with uh, with Miles and Flora's mom and dad. Yep. So Mike Flanagan gave us two love triangles, not just one. Yeah, well, there's there's like three romances in this. There's Henry, Henry Thomas's love story with the affair with his brother's wife. There's Danny and Jamie. And there's... Uh, Peter and Rebecca and you see different types of love going on there there's the really possessive relationship with Peter even though you find out why he's doing that there's the secretive affair type type of love with the brother and Henry Thomas and then there's true love with Danny and Jamie all right I disagree there's a another one in there too and it's Hannah and Owen Owen. Oh yeah, that's right. They did. Yeah, they're so, they're slowly. That particular plot just kills me because Hannah at one point has 
accepted that she's dead, but Owen at one point asked her to go to Paris before she died. And she wants to, but remember, everyone that dies on the Bly Manor property cannot ever leave. So she cannot go with him. And she'd already lost her first husband. I think he cheated on her. So she lost him to somebody else. And she was finally, she poured all her love into the children and in taking care and making sure Bly Manor was running. But then she starts, you know, to have feelings. And once again, she's heartbroken and he's heartbroken. And I just, again, that one made me cry. Like ugly tears on that one. Yeah. And then... That one's tragic, but as we as we wrap up the show, Danny, ha- having let Viola possess her, believes everything's okay. She moves in with Jamie, and they have a beautiful relationship. She ends up proposing to Jamie, and everything's right with the world, and you think, oh, she gets a happy ending finally. Well, nope. Viola, Viola is still mindlessly set in her ways and is starting to show herself and starting to kind of threaten to hurt Jamie. So Danny goes back to Bly and runs away from Jamie, leaving a note and Danny kills herself by drowning herself in the lake to stop Viola and Danny becomes the lady of the lake and Jamie tries to stop her, but Danny loves Jamie too much to do that. And I, I should have mentioned before that the whole setup for this show is great because you are hearing a, an older woman tell this story at a wedding or the night before a wedding. Yeah, it was. she was telling a ghost story is and, what she was doing. Yes, and the bride by the end is like, that's not a ghost story, that's a love story. And she says, because the storyteller's been using all these names, Miles, Flora, Peter, and the bride says... It's so weird. I feel like I felt like I know that story because my middle name is Flora. And the big reveal at the very end is that the storyteller is an adult Jamie and that the bride is Flora now grown up. Miles is there, Owen is there. Owen has started a, a restaurant named after Hannah called Hannah's. And Dan or yeah, no. Jamie waits for Danny every night to uh she does things like turn on the sink and letting water come into the sink or into the tub and waits for Danny every night. And you see a hand with the wedding ring on it on Jamie's shoulder. She even leaves the door open so that Danny can come, come back if she's able. So, and she does, you see the the hand, you see Jamie's hand or Danny's hand on Jamie's shoulder. You see the ring and Danny's watching over Jamie always. That's the part that I, broke down they're playing a great song by Cheryl Crow I shall believe and they reveal that it's Jamie in an awesome fashion where they show shots of the wedding and And then you see everybody grown up because the kids don't remember any of this but you see that everybody survived and got their happy ending except Jamie and she's she keeps the memory again she keeps Danny alive by the, by telling her story. Yes. And although she can't reveal to everybody everything, you know, the adults already know, but that's how she keeps Danny and the hope alive. But for me, Danny and Jamie were the ultimate love story out of all of them because yes. they loved each other beyond themselves. 
uh, both of them were willing to give up their lives for the other. And their love was so strong that not even death could separate them. I mean, you can't get... Was that Sonic? Yes, pause for a second. Yes. I'm going to let him out. Okie dokie. All right, he's gone. Lovely. Even the dog wants to get in on the podcast, and he didn't even watch Bly Manor, so he, I don't think he gets. I don't think he gets to talk. He is a horror hound. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, so, but any, but anyway. Ultimately, you've got this love that is so strong that time can't erase it because she keeps telling Danny's story, and death can't destroy it, and so it is a tearjerker ending. But it ends with hope. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't who doesn't want to love like that where you your soulmate for throughout time? I mean, I, I'm getting all romantic here because I know it's tr- no, it's true, right. though, because Peter and Rebecca are able to move on. You can assume yep. that that They're they together. reconciled Viola's free. So you can assume that she's back with her daughter and hopefully her husband. Um. But also, Owen keeps Hannah alive by naming the restaurant after her and putting up a picture of her. And there's one thing we didn't address, and that's the uncle's sorrow and and the pain that the uncle played by Henry Thomas, which, by the way, we're recording today. Today Today's Henry Thomas's birthday, so happy happy birthday, Henry. Happy birthday, Henry. You're awesome. We definitely hope to meet you at one of these cons. However, there's a running thing throughout each episode where the phone rings and when they answer, there's nobody there. And initially they think it's Peter Quinn who was thought to have have stolen something and run away. But in reality, the Lady of the Lake killed him and he didn't run away. He's just dead. But they think because they can see him hanging around the outside grounds before he comes in the house they think that he's come back and he's the one that's calling, which is creepy. You know, that, that goes back to some really classic. Yeah. It's, uh, it's set up, it's set up to be a a scare, but it's actually a heartbroken father wanting to talk to his daughter. So the uncle Henry Thomas had actually fathered. He's actually Flora's daddy is what happens. And he had an affair with her mother when her uh, fought when her husband was traveling, and so Flora yeah, it's, is it's, actually his daughter. But it's, Hen- it's Henry's brother because that leads to a rift in the family. There, Henry right. has a brother who is married, and Henry has an affair with his brother's wife. And so he can't ever acknowledge Flora as his daughter, but. When everything is resolved and he's called to Bly Manor to rescue both kids and he ends up raising them. So that wound is also healed for him as well. So what Flanagan does, and he does, he did this in Midnight Mass as well. He wraps everything up with a bow for you. He finishes all the stories. He answers all your questions. He may not answer it till the last five or 10 minutes, I swear. 
he'll keep you hanging on that long. But he just puts a bow around everything and gives you this incredible gift where all your questions are answered and it's finished and yeah. it's and it's perfect. And dare we say it's perfectly splendid, which is what Flora <laughs> says all the time. A lot throughout in the this thing. show. Yes. And she says it a, a lot. Catchy phrase. So it, honestly, that is the way to sum up Bly Manor. It is perfectly splendid. Yeah. And it's a beautiful, beautiful love story. And again, Mike Flanagan is so good at making, creating characters that you you can connect with somebody and you can connect to their stories. All of us have stuff in our past that we'd like to forget. All of us are looking for... Redemption. Redemption and the right kind of love in life and... Flanagan, in, and without giving anything away about Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Hill House is a story about dealing with grief and loss. And Bly Manor has that too, but Hill House is much more of a, how do you go on when you lose someone close to you in in life? And he wraps that up beautifully as well. And Yeah, please tell me he wraps everything up and puts a bow on it. In Hill House, too, because I can't watch it otherwise. Oh, there's a beautifully happy ending in the end of Hill House. That one makes me cry just as much as this one. So I don't want to say there was a happy ending in Midnight Mass, but everything turned out okay. Everything was... Not not um, really, because everybody kind of dies in Midnight Mass. I know, but evil was defeated. So yeah. that's some people's version of a happy ending. I mean... Right yeah, one. I guess it good good triumphed over evil. So yeah, but the but, the th- again, Mike Flanagan just even though it's not a happy ending in that everything is okay. There's a story and a and a message of there. You said it before. There's hope and the message that you can carry on through this stuff. And Midnight Mass and Hill House also have that. Bly Manor definitely has it. You keep the ones you love alive through their stories. And he, he's just brilliant at that. He, again, he's my favorite director and writer and he's just, he makes fantastic films. And I do want to address something with Bly Manor. So Bly Manor gets a lot of hate because it was the follow up to Hill House. Yeah. It was the follow up to Haunting of Hill House. Haunting of Hill House is much, much scarier than than Bly Manor. So everybody kind of went in, including myself. I watched maybe three episodes of this when it first came out and I didn't like it. I thought it was boring, but I was caught off guard after just watching Hill House and then being met with this very quiet, somber period piece love story. He does take a while to weave it, weave his story before he ramps it up. You're right. But if you are patient and you stick with these characters, they're going to all have stories that unravel that are going to just give you a, a a nice story, a warm feeling, a good conclusion. Even though uh, Danny's story is tragic and that she dies and the only people that remember her are Owen and 
Hannah and Jamie and also Henry, she's still a, a hero in other ways, like you said, and Jamie keeps her alive in in the story to the children, and I'm sure those children, Miles and Flora, will go on and tell that story to others. And it's like stories we tell about, uh, you know, our parents and our, our grandparents and friends and and family, and Flanagan's just so good at, at doing that, making things relatable, and he absolutely knocked it out of the park with Haunting of Bly Manor, and I do think people, if you brushed it off a few episodes in like I did, go back and rewatch it and stick with it because that's what I did about a year ago before Midnight Mass came out or maybe right after, I can't remember. But I went back and I watched it again and it is outstanding. You know, I'm not sure I could watch it again. And I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It just was so perfect for me. Yeah. That I don't know that I want to relive it because it would just take this. I mean, it touched my heart. Yeah. Every you know, every once in a while, there's a movie or a book or a song that is just it changed your life. It's I, I'm really being dramatic, but it's perf- perfection for you. Yeah. And so, like, I can't go back and watch Schindler's List ever either. Like, it was it was such a once in a lifetime experience that I kind of think. I'm going to let Bly Manor be what it what it is for me. It was an experience. I got to share it with you, um, even though I was not happy about it at the beginning. You know, <laughs> I was like kind of just humoring you, to be honest. Now, I'm glad this and is yet, on, on a podcast recording because I want you to remember you saying that when we start watching Hill House because you will get scared. And I want yes. you to remember that you said that because by the end, you'll be saying the exact same thing about Haunting of Hill House. And I want you to remember that if I get too scared and you don't get a good present at Christmas, this is on you, man. This is my Just present saying. enough. <laughs> and yeah. so will that. So will. So that will be as well, watching you get scared if that's how we're going to play. So, so extremely reluctant horror fan. Yes. But a but, fan definitely of The Haunting of Bly Manor. Huge fan of Mike Flanagan. And just. All the way, the whole experience was great, and I'm I'm glad you forced me to watch it. Just like I forced you to eat your vegetables, you forced me to watch Blind Manor. I think we're even, man. <laughs> I don't know. You do often play the "I gave birth to you, and you owe me this, this, and this." And I did, I did, and I mean, you want me to just be walking around your house, dripping water from the lake? No, that's Come what I. Now. No, that's what I have the dog for, even if it's not from a He's, lake. You see, moms just, uh, we don't, like, oh boy, you could really get philosophical here. A mother's love never dies either. She didn't even realize she was searching for her daughter, but that love kept her walking up every night. Yeah. I waited up late nights for you. I get it. (laughs) I think you're talking to the wrong kid. Well, yeah, there were a few, but. (laughs) But, uh, no, it's. Every character has a story arc. You feel for them, and you. Everyone has a, a tragedy, just like we all do. And uh, but it's good to take the message of, you know, the past is the past, but you can absolutely overcome it and move forward and and be better for it and make memories with your friends yep. and family from it. And the, impo- I th- the importance of memories because you know, who hasn't 
we've all lost somebody and you keep them alive through your memories and through passing down their stories. Yeah. And some of those stories you want to keep tucked away like these characters do. And that sounds like uh, what you'll do with with Bly Manor. I would absolutely watch this again in a heartbeat because Mike Flanagan stuff, you just you have to rewatch it because you're going to catch more stuff every every time you watch it. So he is very detail oriented. Yeah, he's Very. just a he's just a genius. He and you've seen other work of his. You watched Doctor Sleep. That was a Mike Flanagan movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was really good too. Great um, sequel to The Shining. Yeah. Um and he just he knocks it out of the park every single time. He's got another show coming up this October. I think it's called The Midnight Club. I cannot remember. I'll have to Something like that. Look that up. But there's also talk of him doing an adaptation of The Fall of the House of Usher from Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, that's your favorite Poe story. It is. That is my favorite Poe short story, favorite Poe work of all time. It is scary as crap, and I think Mike Flanagan will be perfect for it. So, I don't know. Do you have... uh, do you have anything else you want to touch on with Bly Manor? I was just thinking about a meme that I saw a couple weeks ago where it says, every woman wants to put on a nightgown, pick up a candlestick, and run amok through a Victorian manor. <laughs> and yes. there's just a little bit of that sort of flavor in Bly Manor, and that's probably why it touched me. Yeah, not... Also, not a uh, Victorian manner per se, but the prime example of getting up of a man. It was old English. Of a what? I felt it was old English countryside. Oh no! Bly, oh no! Bly Manor is yes, but the yeah. prime example of a man and a woman wearing nightgowns and walking around is. I'll sum it up with one phrase: Put the candle back. back. Yep. Young Frankenstein, if some of you out there don't know what we're talking about, we will do an episode on that. That is a horror comedy, and it's the best comedy of all time. I'm just going to put that out there right now. Uh, And so many great lines from that movie, too. Also, side Um, note, his upcoming series, Mike Flanagan's upcoming series on Netflix is The Midnight Club. So super, super excited for that. But um. You can talk about Midnight Club on Midnight Terrors. Yeah. And I think with that, I think that's everything. But yeah, people, if you if you haven't seen The Haunting of Bly Manor or you thought it was slow and didn't finish it, and it's fine if you didn't like it, but I do think it is absolutely worthy of your time. And just look deeper when you watch this stuff. It You might brush it off as one thing and it will absolutely prove to you that it's got more to it than just that one thing so it's worth your time beautiful show watch it and tuck it away in your memories as we have and i'm sure you'll find it perfectly splendid not only that after you listen to what we say even if you disagree with us or you have a different take or you want to expand on it I think they should get in touch with you or leave a comment or whatever. I'm so not techie. Um, <laughs> and and let you know, because I'd like to know that we're not the only ones that felt this way. 
I'd also like to know if, you know, you think this old lady is way off base and on how she absorbed it. So, but all in all, you're right. It was perfectly splendid. Yes. So, yes, go check out the show, everybody. And I want to thank my mom, Kat, for coming on the show thank with you. me. This is fun. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> never thought that when I uh, was starting to get into horror movies that years later I'd be doing a horror podcast in general, but I never thought I'd have my mom on to talk about some horror. Ooh, but you, I'm going to uh, get a T-shirt that says Reluctant Horror Fan. Yes. Totally going to wear it to the con. <laughs> yes. and uh, But again, I'm glad that, that you were one of our guests on here because it just goes to show horror has something in it for everybody. So if you haven't found what you're looking for with horror, keep looking because there's, there's stuff out there for everybody. And uh, I hope you're not too scared off from doing the podcast again because I definitely have some other ideas that... that I think you'd be perfect to come on and talk about. We did six years of Halloween parties. There's a lot we could talk about there. We did, and those were a lot of fun. And thank you for never saying no to my ridiculous ideas when it came to building the themes. But <laughs> I'll try and come back on. You know how shy I am. Well, I yeah, I can't even say that with a straight, with a straight face. You couldn't either. But uh. Thank but you. I'm looking Thank forward you. to the horror con, man. Yeah, one week from today, Haunted Screams. Yep. Haunted Screams Expo in Hampton, Virginia. Definitely looking forward to that. Thank you, Mom, for coming on the show and encouraging my crazy love of horror and just doing doing my thing, doing the stuff that makes me happy. So glad that you were able to make it on and talk about this awesome show. I'm glad you liked it. I hope everybody else that watched it before liked it as well. And if you haven't seen it, I hope you have a good time watching it. It's uh, only about a month out from October uh, with Halloween season, so it's definitely time to start watching some of that stuff. But in the meantime, if you have suggestions for Midnight Terrors and things that you want to hear us talk about on here, there are plenty of ways to get in touch with us. Facebook and Instagram, we are Midnight Terrors Podcast on both of those. You can send us a message, leave us a comment, let us know what you want us to talk about, or let us know your thoughts on what we have talked about. And Ooh, try and stump them. Try and come up with something they really got to work at. Good luck with that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, all uh, things horror all the time. Yep. But also, I have set up an, an email account, midnightterrorspodcast at gmail.com, so you can... Send us direct emails now. If you absolutely hate us, uh, you can do that. Although, maybe don't do that. We're all fragile, fragile egos <laughs> on this show. Plus, but, your mommy will get mad at them. Yes, my mom will yell at you. But uh, so, yeah, Midnight Terrace Podcast at gmail.com. You can send us an email with uh, show suggestions or feedback. And get in touch with us, guys. We want to talk some horror with you, and we want, you know, we want to make friends doing this. We want to have new people on the podcast, and I've been in touch with some people on Instagram uh, from other podcasts that that I'd like to get on the show, or we've talked with them about guesting on their show. So we want to meet new people, new friends, and and just keep celebrating horror, this crazy art that we all love. 
And uh, again, thank you to my mom, Kat, for coming on here. And I'm sure she'll be back very soon because we can also talk about our experiences with the horror cons like we did in the early part of this episode. But until then, guys, this is the Midnight Terrors podcast. And uh, yeah, keep keep celebrating horror and watch a lot of stuff uh, going Night. into October. Night, everybody. Sleep well. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much. This is the Midnight Terrors podcast. My name's Kevin. I will see you all. Well, I guess I won't see you because this is an audio podcast. So, but I will be back with another episode next week. Later. Later.